Welcome to Patch Notes. It's late at night uh, when we were recording this, and John, I just wanted to read you uh, this little uh, this little poem from a very famous poet about nighttime. Mm. It says, yes. "Good night. Get some rest. Life is big, and we are tiny." Parentheses so tiny. So get some rest for tomorrow, for yourself, for those who love you. Close the aperture slowly and with gratitude. Tomorrow we party. Parentheses so rested. Good night. It's the uh, famous poet Lin Manuel Miranda, mm. who just uh, just gave you that blessing. How do you feel? How do you feel now, John? I feel like capitalism is big and we are tiny. <laughs> well, that's and true. that it doesn't give a shit when I have to wake up tomorrow morning. It sure does. It, it cares a lot about Lin Manuel Miranda. Mm. Um. So you know, good good for him, I guess. Uh, boy, that I I just don't like that that guy's a poet now. Hello, how are you? Oh, I'm fantastic. It is, it is Thursday morning. It's Thursday morning. Happy Thursday. Happy um, Thursday. The, the, the biggest game on the, uh, the biggest day on the game's release schedule, uh, big old uh, Super Thursday. That's what they call it. That's what, they, that's what they have classically called this, this blessed day. Um, uh, it's May 1st as well. No, yeah, well, well, it's May second now. It was yeah. May first. You just was May first. Um, and meltdown May has already started. Yeah. Although I, I saw some people suggest that it started already, and I'd like your take on this. Does the uh, meltdown that happened recently, where uh, that guy Peter Stoller um, did a like uh, thought that he had gotcha'd uh, Felix Biederman of Chapel Trap House, but it turns out it was the wrong Discord. Uh, yes. They're, they're all right. If I if thread. I recall correctly, the sequence of events he was posting screenshots from a, an account called Felix Real, which I mean, to be fair, that is Felix's actual name on Discord. Okay, fair enough. But it wasn't the right numbers. Like you, you know how Discord works. Yeah, yeah, yeah with the the, the yeah. account numbers. Yeah. Right. So you could also be Hagelbond, but you wouldn't be Hagelbond five 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 eight like me. Uh-huh. Um. So yeah, it's um. His response was uh, protracted and a bit of bit meltdowny, uh, and people have suggested that this was the unofficial start or the official start, excuse me, of meltdown May. What do you think? I mean, if it doesn't happen in May, is it a is is it part of the the corpus? I mean, well, look at look at it this way: when we do April Fools' rulings, like when April Fools' happens, now it actually happens on March thirty first, right? Mm-hmm, because now if you do a, a a joke on April 1st, everyone doesn't expect it. But if you do the joke on March 31st, everyone's like, maybe this is real. Right, right. Yeah, that's true. So if we apply the same logic to Meltdown May, then Meltdowns on April 30th or even April 29th may, may you know, be part of the larger canon. Okay, I buy that. I mean, because, like, I, I want to be careful because... Meltdowns do exist through the entirety of the oh, year. Yes, yes. Meltdowns happen all the time. In fact, someone we'll be talking about said they had a has had a meltdown in May. It was perhaps the first true official meltdown May participant and already had a meltdown for the ages this year. So it's not as if like it's not as if meltdowns are limited to May. It's just May is a very it, it's weird. It's like it's a transitional state. It's a liminal phase. Yeah. Do you know uh, this is this is an aside, but do you know the hmm. um there's like a, a theory about this set of days in April. Uh, I think it's like the 16th to the 20th mm. um, that are particularly bad historically. No. Um, so I only know this because my birthday is the 19th. So um, I've done some some brief research on this. Right. So the the 420 and the three days before it. Pretty much. Yeah. So it's Hitler's birthday, Columbine, the Weed Day, 
It's um, um it it's uh it's also First shots of the Battle of Lexington and Concord, the, the, the Oklahoma City bombing. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you look it up on Wikipedia, it actually like I think it's called like the Cursed Week or something. It's something weird. Um, and, and like to me, there's like that confluence where it's like these four days are really bad. Yes, of course, there's other stuff happening. Um, but it's sort of like it makes for a Bermuda Triangle of like days. Um, and I, I feel that's, like we should. That's take- a funny thing. I mean. Is there anything that was less cool in adulthood rather than childhood than the Bermuda Triangle? No. Have we heard about the Bermuda Triangle <sighs> ever since we turned 18? No, but there were so many good books about all the shit that happened in it Well, and, and when we were children. I think the problem is that when you're a child, you don't think, oh, the Bermuda Triangle is this way because uh, we hadn't mastered air travel. Mm-hmm. And, now, well, I mean, and now you look at it and you're like, oh, we mastered air travel and now the Bermuda Triangle isn't a big, as big a deal. Well, I mean, the real problem is that when you're a child, you believe dumb shit. Oh, well, that's true, too. And, yeah. And that's that's where we are. Well, it's that classic, it's that Jonathan Frakes uh, wrong. super cut of wrong. him saying, wrong. You were wrong. You were wrong. <laughs> it was fiction. Which You're is, fiction. <laughs> how we fooled you. Which is so good, because that's exactly how that show felt. It's like, ah, oh, jeez. I really thought that one was right. Yeah. Nope. Fuck you. One of my favorites. I, I want a supercut of like 49 seconds of Jonathan Frakes smiling in a blazer with questionable facial hair saying, fuck you. You could get, uh, you could pay David Hayter to do that. Yeah, I could, which is why I want Jonathan Frakes to do it. <laughs> fuck you. Um, anyway, uh, nice to have you here on this late mm-hmm. night. I appreciate you doing this. Of course, uh, we talked about this before and decided, uh, generally speaking, we're both up late now, and uh, it may have made more sense than trying for another morning after we yep. both slept through the last podcast. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> uh, what do you? Hey, uh, I, I'd, I'd like to get a. I'd like to get a mug check. I'm drinking a coffee. It's nothing special. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not like special coffee, is what I mean. Uh, you are drinking a beer. What? What are you? Mm-hmm. What are you? What are you supping on, John? Well, I'm not providing free advertising. Uh, okay, uh, but it's Miller Lite because Ooh, I'm trying the to king lose of weight. beers. <laughs> um, it's actually but it's the, technically it's the, not the king of beers, but that's it's fun. not. Uh, that's the other guys. They're literal competition. Um, but no, it's it's the tall boy Miller Lite. Oh, so. that's fun. Uh, those yeah. are fun to drink. The, the ones that look like, like you know, like. You know, flash grenade rounds you shove in a grenade launcher. Mm-hmm. Those ones. Yeah. Um, I think there's nothing if you wrong hear with me, drinking a yummy Miller Lite every so often. People will If disagree. you hear me crack a beer or crack anything or sip anything this episode, I'm going to try to mute it. But No, don't. It, 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 it'll, be more like, uh, it'll be more like YKS if you don't. Oh, okay. Well, then really you hear like me opening the mini fridge and withdrawing the oh, beer from the fridge. Mini fridge. All right. And... Closing the mini fridge. Ladies and gentlemen, do not address your television set. And opening the beer. All right. Nice. So we're going to be talking about uh, some real light topics on tonight's episode. Yeah. 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 It's going to be great. Honestly, though, on some level, I feel like the, the real serious accounting of this has been handled, right? Like, so we're, we're going to be talking about labor. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of labor issues popping up this week. Um, but, like, I feel like on some level, like, the actual serious discussions about crunch and labor and, and these kinds of things, it feels on some level like 
the it was done a year ago or even like even like a couple of Two days years even ago. a couple of months ago like the yeah. i feel like since um since the anthem piece uh it's been and since the red dead piece mm-hmm. it's been different and i was saying this to a friend of mine um i mean i feel like the telltale piece was the big was the big uh, start of this yeah that's fair uh-huh. that's actually a very good point um but i was saying to a friend of mine i was like you know it's it's funny um, cause we were saying, he was saying, yeah, like it's, it's pretty bad how, how now we're sort of just all kind of accepting that, yep, some, sometimes there's crunch and people are already sort of basically already sort of like going back and forth on, and on the actual strident, um, crunch is bad kind of statement that mm-hmm. we, that we all started out with. And I said, well, you know, the benefit of it all, like, I, I agree with you, but the benefit of it all, and it's not nice, it's not great, but Everyone kind of understands that crunch exists. Like, no one's surprised mm-hmm. by this. No one's saying, like, oh, well, that's how video games are made. It seems like on some level there's been a wide-scale um, improvement in, like, just knowing that this is a thing. Yeah, well, I mean, it, that's what this entire era is defined by, right? It's it's defined by people finally acknowledging things that exist in plain view. Mm-hmm. It's defined by people finally articulating things that have been clear for at least 10 years. I mean, we were like, when was the first time you heard a story about crunch problems? For me, it was Madden. It was Madden 2005. Boy, I'm like, trying to think about when was the first like, time? It was maybe 2006, but it was, you know, it was one of those Xbox Maddens. That was the first time wow. that I was exposed to the idea that EA was just taking kids in fresh out of school, chewing them up and spitting them out. It just wasn't a thing that people talked about you know, I had until a friend, very recently. Yeah, I had a friend who worked Q&A on Age of Conan. And as far as I can tell, Age of Conan actually was pretty okay. Does, was that the the MMO that allowed you to, like, have a dick? Uh, I don't think so. I think like it was the one that came beforehand. Okay. Um, oh, but in any case, that, that, that went pretty smoothly. As far as I can recall, he actually had a lot of good things to say about that. But he also worked, like, freelance. About having a dick? Yeah, about having a dick. Okay. Generally, generally a positive experience. Um, not my experience, but you know, everyone has different experiences. Uh, but the yeah, I mean, like he his 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 account was you know it's it's this is fine. Um, it, I had a decent enough time, but he also did freelance at other shops, and it sounded like you know he was basically saying yeah, you work eighty hour weeks, and then at the end of it they say okay, now you're fired. Yeah, because uh, you're a contract worker. And right, and as QA is the most beautiful brutal shit in the industry yes absolutely absolutely so yeah i, I think that was probably 20, that was before the podcast started because he was on he was on my yeah i talked to him on another podcast that i had briefly before this so it was mm. or not that i had but i was part of briefly before this so i think that was have been 2010 and i can't imagine i heard i hadn't heard about that before so i i'd say probably generously 2008 yeah i mean and it just didn't it was it was in plain sight. I mean, it's not like tech burnout was. It was called burnout. Is what it was. It wasn't called abuse. It was called burnout, which is a way of putting it on the worker. Well, and burnout is one of those things that I think in the in the general like world of work, like even even weird work like you or I do, like you understand burnout as a concept. Like you're like, oh yeah, mm-hmm. people get burned out. Like any at any job, people get burned out. And the idea of tech burnout was not really considered. Unique, special. I think, yeah, yeah. it wasn't. It, it was is, just like, yeah, and like it is unique. It is a particular kind of like 
absolutely brutal burnout that mm -hmm. these people are put under um, that we're all just now sort of reckoning with. Uh, yeah, and, and like the thing was that up until, like, generously speaking, three years ago, which is when I think this really started kicking off, but less generously speaking, one and a half years ago, one year ago, eight months ago, I mean, the unionization push is less than two years old. Mm -hmm. um, we thought about people getting burnt out on games work and having to leave the games industry as a problem with the people who got burnt out. Right. Yes, definitely. Um, and, and like the idea, I think, I think this is also like, you can tie it back to the change in looking at someone, looking at something like Metal Gear and saying, man, I wish I could be Kojima. I wish I could work on that. Like what, what would, what wouldn't you give to be on that game too? I also mean, maybe, but also it's worth noting that Kojima gets five year dev periods. Well, no. And I was going to say, he also is asked to do, um, he also can ask, he, he's a, terribly demanding boss and we'll ask mm -hmm. like you know uh, get uh, you know i th i just had an idea to have multiplayer in this game put multiplayer in it now and like i think baseball's kind of having a similar moment but i think um, um, when we started hearing those radical demands and thinking about mm -hmm. like what actually who's actually doing this like who's actually doing the work that's when it started to become like, oh, maybe like we don't necessarily want to be management in this situation. Maybe we should think about like people who aren't. Well, I mean, if we want to talk about baseball, all you need to know about baseball is that the uh, asshole currently ruining Jeopardy, his first dream was to ruin baseball. He's um, ruining Jeopardy? Uh, there's a guy on Jeopardy right now who is min-maxing it. Oh, he's um He's winning. I mean, it, it's, a, it's a fairly normal and reasonable strategy. What he does is he just bets all in on his daily doubles because daily doubles aren't apparently geared to be har harder than normal questions because it's a randomizer. You know, you get a daily double somewhere on the board, wherever. Um, so whenever, wherever they, pop, they pop up. Um, the question is just a normal question. And since he's really good at Jeopardy, he knows that to win the Jeopardy round, all he has to do is go all or nothing on a question he can win. And right. he wins. So the way to beat him is to win and also go all or nothing. So it's, it's you know, it's, it's the perfect storm. Um, and, you know, that's whatever. I don't give a shit about Jeopardy personally. I don't. Whatever. I, I like Alex Trebek, but that's the only part of Jeopardy I give a shit about. Fair enough. I like answering um, trivia questions. Not me. I'm really bad at it. Aww. Uh But yeah, no, that's... He, his his heroes are uh, Bill James, uh, Theo Epstein, and Billy Bean, who are three people probably most responsible who aren't owners for ruining baseball over the past 10 to 15 years. And I say that as someone who has praised and followed their work in the past. Um, I think the only one out of that group, and you can, you can tell me why I'm wrong about this. I'm happy to, to not like any of them anymore. Um, the only one out of that group that I have any pity for or any sort of like understanding for anymore would be Bean. Because he was, he was handed by ownership this dumb task and, and mm -hmm. sort of found a way to deal with it. Yeah, now he's president of the team, and uh, yeah, he hasn't changed anything. So. Right. yeah, okay, yeah, no, I don't like it anymore. <laughs> Thank you. 
Uh, I didn't actually know he was president of the team. That's uh, uh, Unless I'm wrong, I mean, he might have ascended to some other further position, but I believe he's moved out of the general manager position, so he's not managing the day today. I thought he was and just he's, the GM. he's uh, collecting from an executive role. No, the, uh, oh, fuck, I can't remember who the GM's name is. David Forst? David Forst is a GM somewhere. Mm-hmm. Let me check. I used to know a lot more about baseball. And then yes. I had kids. Yeah, David then... Forst is uh, the guy currently running the athletics on a day-to-day basis. Okay. That sounds smarmy. I don't mean it to be. I actually, like, it literally was, like, it just coincided with having kids that I stopped knowing a lot about baseball. Yeah, well, only one-third of the teams are trying to win baseball games. Right, What are you yeah. supposed to do? I do I do appreciate that my team, the Phillies, um, only tanked briefly. And, yeah. like, basically just tanked because of ineptness, like the classic way you do. Mm-hmm. Um, that was nice. I appreciated that they decided to become competitive earlier than people thought they should. It's it's fucked up, but I've really started to respect Ruben Amaro. Really started respecting Ruben Amaro Jr. For Me too. Being interesting. <laughs> well, and and oh, so like th- this is like this is one of the things we'll talk about in the show today. Like the nature of like strategizing and like thinking about your audience and thinking about like okay, what are people gonna want who are playing my game want to hear? I mean, Amaro kind of understood a really, really high-end strategy that people are using now, which is if you just um, acquire very good players Mm -hmm. um, and don't super worry about the years down the line, just like acquire the good players, you're also going to fill all the seats and make a lot of money and make everyone really happy. I mean, his basic premise was that payroll efficiency doesn't matter. And he was right. And (laughs) yes, payroll efficiency actually doesn't matter for a team in a large market. Which yep. is what he was running, and he also um, he also very correctly realized that like okay, if teams are going to give me their good players based on the sort of like fetish of all those a- Astros trades with Ed Wade, oh, and the thing is so Ed Wade also got came out well from those trades. Amaro Jr. and Wade benefited from those trades absolutely. Mm-hmm. The first time the Astros, the current Astros, were good, they had a huge number of Ed Wade players on the roster meaning players Wade had accumulated. Because even though Wade presided over like a, a historic four-year lost season, uh, four years of really bad baseball, he made great trades when yeah. he was part of that team. And then Lonau came in, and Lonau has seen success partially because he retained his his front, you know, people retained passwords related to him. No, sorry, that was the ca- the, the Cardinals, Cardinals kept his passwords, yeah. His passwords because they weren't changed in the system. So they're I mean, to so be fair, that was really bad opsec. Yeah, no, I mean, it, calling it hacking is kind of fucking stupid. Well, it's like how um, the how the how the DNC got hacked where Podesta was like, "Oh, I a phishing email or he didn't say that. He said, "Oh, an email that wants my password. I guess I'll yeah. give it to it." Yep. I mean, I mean, technically, I guess under the law it is hacking because hacking is the unauthorized access of a system. But Jesus Christ, make them work for it. You effectively authorized it by not changing the password. Yeah. Um, anyway. In any um, case, yeah. Yeah. So Lonow has done very well as the Astros general manager. He He's earned the success he's had as a agent of capital. But a lot of his original success was built on what Ed Wade did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, it's it, it's an odd thing, right? Like it's it's weird to sort of suddenly after after so long of just despising having one as a GM to like suddenly respect old baseball men to be like, mm-hmm. yeah, maybe those guys had something they they knew. Oh, I mean, they were stupid as hell too. Yeah, but I but mean, they were stupid in a, in a way, way that I could respect. 
Well, they were stupid like, in a way of saying, like, I don't get all this stuff about, about stats and everything. Mm-hmm. I just want the good players. And it's yeah. like, on a certain level, that made me furious at the time, and now I'm thinking about it. I'm like, no, no, they're they're right. <laughs> yeah, if, if because all... the current guys don't want the good players. The no, current they guys don't. want the cheap players. Right. And every, I mean, I don't know if you remember, um, we're way off topic, but that's okay. Um, I don't know if you remember uh, Dave Cameron's trade value series on Fangraphs. Uh, San Diego Padres front office employee, Dave Cameron. <sighs> Um, yeah, but, uh, but he had one where like he was doing the trade value series and then he sort of had like a, a side element of the trade value series where he was, uh, he was basically looking at like players that, that could be, could or could not be gotten. Right. And so like, um, he was, he was talking about uh, Cole Hamels that year. Mm-hmm. And because um, Cole Hamels was definitely going to get traded from the Phillies, I think I know where this is going. Yeah, yeah. And one of the main suitors was the Boston Red Sox, and so mm-hmm. like um, Cameron was like, "Okay, all right, like let's think about who makes sense for the Phillies to get." And I think was it, it like Joe Kelly? It wasn't Joe Kelly because Joe Kelly, I think at that point was still in the Cardinals. It was okay. No, it, no, he wasn't because oh. Joe Kelly got traded in 2015. Didn't okay, he? yeah, it was Joe Kelly. Joe Kelly was one of the things, and then the other one was um, Manny Margot. And they were, I think, like Manny Margot, yeah. he was like, "This might be too rich for the Red Sox blood." Honestly, I don't know if I'd do this deal if I were them. <laughs> everyone reading it was like, "You are such a hack." <laughs> well, I mean, not everyone, obviously, because he got hired. I mean, well, you have to again, read. You have to read Cameron's. Story, so. Yeah, the Twins, I believe. Um, you have to read Cameron's output and Sestouli's output. Well, I don't know if you have to ever read Sestouli's output. But you have to read Cameron's output with the idea in mind that all he is doing is establishing a corpus, a canon, a resume to work for a front office team. Yep. And it um, worked. It did. I mean, that's that's how it is. I mean, I don't write about baseball anymore, so I can call him a hack if I want to. Um, I won't, because who knows where I'm going to end up writing. But I, I won't, I won't say no. I do think that was a hacky column by him. No, he's a hack. All right. <laughs> so I mean, I, anyway, I, I, here's the thing. I mean, like he obviously he's smart. He uh, and all these guys are smart. Well, I don't know about Sistuli, but all he's these smart guys are way. smart. No, he's not. He. Okay, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, the thing about Cameron is that. And the thing about a lot of these guys is they know what they're doing. They know the market. The, they know the people they're marketing to. They know the people who control hiring and firing. They know the people who control the money in baseball. And it is not the people who advocate for lower arbitration thresholds, not the people who advocate for less team control. It's the people who hire people who say that Manny Margot straight up is a good trade for Cole Hamels. <laughs> right. Because that's how it goes. Yeah. Because they know that those people are on their sides. And that's just how baseball is right now. And that's how baseball will be until the media bubble bursts and they have to actually make money from their gate revenues again. And it cannot come soon enough. Well, no, I mean, that's the thing. When that media bubble bursts, it will probably mean a gigantic economic crash. Well... That's when that bubble will break. I mean, so you know, oh what? It, can not, co- it can't you, come soon enough. But are you, you know, not what's going to happen now? No, no. I oh, mean, come on, John. Come on, you got to get there with us. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not really. I'm putting on a big show. Um, but anyway, uh, just so we get to the the 
the content because we could talk all night and it would mm-hmm. be 3 a.m. and we'd still be recording. Um, that's fine. <laughs> that's fine. I, 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 I'm, I'm ready for it. Um, so uh, there's a lot of labor going on this week. We were going to start with um, actually someone who I who was being praised previously for uh, good labor practices, uh, or not maybe not good labor practices, but being able to keep a team together. I saw some mm-hmm. praise from about this. Uh, one one um, one Ed Boone and his company uh, making um, uh, uh, Mortal Kombat 11. Well, that's the finesse, isn't it? They kept the team together. They just abused the contractors. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, we've got too much of the auteur in this game anyway. Ed Boone hasn't been... Uh, I'm not going to speak like I know Ed Boone or, or what he's done, but frankly, he shouldn't be doing Get Over Here anymore. <laughs> um, but, uh, alright, so the thing about Mortal Kombat 11 right now is that there's a big to-do about the microtransactions and the way that the crypt works. Um, they've really fucked around with that to a degree that was super abusive, not even a way that made sense for them. Uh-huh. Like, So the way it apparently worked is uh, you have to engage with three or four free-to-play, quote-unquote, currencies that you just have to earn through playing the game. The way that you could use the paid currency is that every day, five items or so from the, I guess, 100-plus items that they have as uh, cosmetic items would come up as... P- as payable you know you could buy them okay so you never had any any sense or any ability to predict what you'd be able to buy with the pay currency um and therefore what you'd have to do is you'd have to go into the crypt and you'd have to do the towers system that's existed since like mk4 mk5 whatever since like the ps2 xbox era the crypt has been a big part of the mk family Um, And you just have to basically play sequences of fights until you get a reward. And that reward might be a cosmetic. That reward might be currency. Um, And that's just basically how that system is working. And that system was so grindy and so, frankly, you know, ridiculous that um, when... The game launched, they were already making promises of revising it. And they said huh. stuff like, we will not rest until <laughs> this is fixed. And what the stories about Netherrealm's treatment of contractors coming out makes you think is, who will not rest? <laughs> is Ed Boone going to be the guy who doesn't rest? Or is it going to be one of their many contractors who doesn't rest? And as it happens... It is the contractors. Yeah, well. <laughs> fuck us if we can't take a joke. Raise your hand if you're surprised. Um, yeah, so all of a sudden this, this this story comes out about Mortal Kombat Crunch. And and again, like, it's it's a funny thing, right? Where, like, we were just talking about how this has become very normalized, but still people were surprised by this. Like, I people were just like, like yeah, oh, no, yeah. not, not MK11. Like, not... Not the game that I am excited about. I can't believe yeah. this happened. I mean, it's... I am... The only thing that surprised me about the reports is that they were focused on contractors and not actual employees. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, abusing contractors is a tale as old as time. But it's a time-honored tradition. Inside the gaming industry, they'll just abuse the full-time employees the same damn way. Um, 
They're really I'm actually very willing not to do that. Sure, if that's worth giving credit for, pretty <laughs> sure it isn't. Um, I like to imagine that there. But yeah, the stories being for shared is a distinction. The stories being shared are that contractors were seated in even like not even cubicles, but like long tables. Uh, in an unair conditioned room and, you know, forced to work long hours and all the normal things you'd expect from someone asking a contractor to do more than their uh, share of the work. Um, there was there was there was a strange story about someone dying from crunch that came out. Apparently mm-hmm. someone reported Someone said that, and uh, they had to retract it because they said it happened during Injustice 2's development instead of Mortal Kombat's. So I feel weird mentioning it on the stream, but they didn't actually retract it. They just said they remembered the, what game it was wrong. And Injustice 2 is also another realm production. Yeah, right. I mean, it's just it's just DC Mortal Kombat. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, actually, looking, I'm looking at this thread again, uh, and and the first thing that I just, the thing that I read as you say that was someone sitting down and saying, "You ready to die?" Some a full time person saying, "You ready to die from crunch?" Um, which is an extraordinarily messed up thing to say. To yeah, I mean, even, I mean, we're talking about this this person who died on injustice too because they died at their desk. Yeah, we're probably not talking about a lot of other people who died somewhere other than their desk. Um, due to the same stress, the same abuse, frankly. Uh, and we won't know that human cost ever because it's just not factored into what we, what we adjust for when we talk about video games. Now, what's, what kind of surprises me about all this is, is I mean, even, even sort of like very, very uh, intelligent people, and myself included on this one, actually, not the intelligent part, but the, the mm. part that I'm going to say after, um, that I keep thinking about this as something that is specific to video games, where like, and, and I stand by the idea that like TechCrunch is something very particular. It's something very particular insofar as it's something that is tied to a an industry with such a success behind it and such an mm-hmm. obvious uh, capital gain behind it that everyone is willing to be cool with it, and no one. I mean, like, it's very difficult to find people who will speak up. Um, the whole the whole culture encourages it in a very, very real way. Um, but this isn't like... It, it's also true that film is like this. And any any time where you get like a number of people together under like a single person to make a uh, a particular like creative work, you're gonna... I mean, and, and this doesn't make it good. It just it makes it surprising that we're now not really seeing it. Now we're not thinking about it outside of video games. You get a, a moment where... A person is like, well, I'm uh, I'm the boss here, and you're all going to work until until this is good, or yeah. you know. Well, I mean, the big pro- there's two separate problems here. The first problem is that we have a workaholic culture. We have a mm-hmm. Protestant work ethic culture that has been perverted even far beyond what the original, you know, dickheads who ran that work ethic intended. I mean, it wasn't like people were working 14-hour days back when the Protestants, the the Pilgrims, were landing. Um, they were just assholes about sex. <laughs> uh, and so there, that's one thing. The other thing is payment. So right. you're talking about the film industry. Most of those workers, if they're not working for, I guess, Netflix or Amazon Prime productions, are unionized. Mm-hmm. And what 
unionization means for workers in those industries is not necessarily less work on a per day basis, but lar- a lot of money. Yeah, right. Um, no, that's and, a very good point. And the film industry is so profitable that they can provide that amount of money. And frankly, the video game industry isn't as profitable as the film industry, obviously. No. But they're and not the video- so much less profitable <laughs> that, you know, that the same thing can't apply even if people want to be workaholics. Well, and you know what? The thing is, like, it, it, it ties back to the, this concept that I know I've talked about on the show before where people need to probably end up at some point being okay paying more for video games like mm-hmm. and, and being okay with not these AAA titles that are such massive financial risks that everyone gets put through the ringer because it's like, well, if we don't if we don't secure this, we are all going to be in such big trouble. This yeah. company will fall apart. You will lose your job regardless. Like it's it's messed up. The other option is that we don't have AAA video games anymore. And frankly, um, that's fine. <laughs> I mean. The last time I was truly inspired or driven by a AAA video game is probably Uncharted 2. Um, that was a while ago. It's a, it's a uh, bit, yeah. Um, and frankly, I think I'd been I'd be fine with it if, produ- if the production values were a little bit worse. Right, and I think like there's something about the the sort of like uh, inbox, like you know, like all-in-the-box design tools like Unity and stuff like that that, I don't know, it just makes it... It makes it so much crazier that we would just, like, ruin people in order to get, mm-hmm. get like, 3D games where it's, like, you probably... I mean, it, it could look a little worse and be okay. Yeah. I mean, it's... I mean, it's an economic question if you want to make games... You see, here's the thing. I'm fine with Uncharted 2 costing $80, but if you tried to charge me $80 for... Call of Duty Infinite Warfare? <laughs> Fuck. Well, you wouldn't buy it. No, I didn't buy it to begin with. So, yes. <laughs> I mean, I understand the multiplayer is a huge draw that I don't participate in, but you can't do a multiplayer community that moves to a $60 game every year. Like, that's the idea. If, if you want to pay $80 for a multiplayer game like Call of Duty because the campaign is bullshit, you should get two years out of that title. Yeah. Um, but that's not the business model Activision wants to work with because it's not the business model that provides the most profits. Very true. And, and, and I think, like, you know, I don't know. I, that's just very true. You're absolutely right. It is... I don't know what to say about it other than it it just seems like a series of extraordinarily um extraordinarily let's say short-sighted like uh it's cannibalization. It can't it can't keep up. It doesn't need to like the idea isn't to have it keep up. The I mean right now Activision is getting sued by its shareholders because it let Bungie go. Mhm. I like they're not being sued because Blizzard fired 800 people or whatever. In fact, Blizzard firing 800 people is probably a mollification to the shareholders to begin with because it happened after the lawsuit was filed. Yeah. When shareholders file lawsuits these days, they file them because the companies they've invested in – and we're not talking about like mom-and-pop shareholders. We're talking about giant conglomerates who hold 
leveraged positions inside these companies. Um, when, when shareholders file these suits, they're filing them because they are uncertain that the executives of the company are acting in the way that would give them the most short-term profit. Right, 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 right. And that's illegal. Like, that is why they're filing the lawsuit. They have the right to do that because it is illegal to not pursue the, the largest short-term profit possible. Um, I mean, it's it's illegal to not do your fiduciary duty to the shareholders. But if the shareholders believe that your fiduciary duty is to provide the greatest short-term profit possible, well, there you are. And it's 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 a it's a callback to a time when uh, really the idea of stock and the idea of like buying stock was was in many ways like literally a, a kind of loan, like a sort mm-hmm. of like loan in in not just in spirit but in form. And now it is it is certainly that's an archaic way of thinking about it, but it yeah. still absolutely holds that like you're in hock to these people. Um, you gotta you gotta make it work for them. And these um, people aren't a democracy. Like, no. when people talk about shareholders, they like to elide that to stakeholders. They like to talk about this like it's a it's a mass of human beings. No, it is an oligarchy. Mm-hmm. Right. It is a it's couple literally of an oligarchy. people. Yeah, it's, um, it's do you how much do you own? Well, then mm-hmm. that's how much power you have. And you know, it, it might be thirty people. It might be fifteen people. It might be forty five people. But it's not seven hundred or seven thousand people. Uh, because the minority stakeholders don't matter, right? Yeah, no. Uh, I mean, why, why would they? Who hold the the large controlling shares, and you know, so that's how it goes. And even if you wanted to do something good as a publicly traded company, you would be punished coming and going by the legal system and by the banks. Um, there was uh, what was that 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 story where Bank of America downgraded a couple companies. Uh, for lending purposes because they're paying their employees too much. <laughs> I believe that was from 2017 or 2016. I could be wrong on the details. Um, cool society we have. Very good. Yeah, it's... Um, I think, like, the the thing... I, I have to say, like, I think the, the reason people are so frustrated that this is happening in video games is because... Video games are an escape are an escape from this kind of stuff. Like if you hear this happening mm-hmm. in like the banking industry, or you hear it happening um, in like I don't know auto auto production, like oh another plant failed or whatever. Like this is stuff that I mean, in a lot of ways, people are just kind of willing to accept. Well, the thing about auto plant stuff is it's tied up so much in borders. Yeah, well that too. Um, yeah, for sure. I mean, I don't want to. I don't want to muddy the waters any more than mm-hmm. they're already muddied because we, you know, we don't have time. But the the, I think like the the question of like, you know, why do we care about this so much more is absolutely because like we we want to like these things. Like these mm-hmm. are these are these are the these are the things that we use to escape from the bad world. And it's well, also it's also why people will defend it so much, right? To be less nice to us, they're also now part of our our identities. Oh, yeah. No, that's not less nice. That's pretty much the exact same thing, which is to say, like, people want to like them because, like, they're our escape. And also they mean, like, something about us specifically. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm a gamer. I like video games. I I need these video games to be just on some level or not. If not just, then, like, holistic works that have value socially and culturally. Mm -hmm. And they can't really do that if they're, like, just rapacious 
money machines. Or if they can do it, then it's much more complicated than we want it to be. I was going to say, but what if they can? <laughs> I mean, they can. Like, that's the other problem. Like, the, 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 the ways things are produced does not determine whether or not they can function as art. A lot of good art was produced in really terrible ways. Um, mm-hmm. I'll continue. I'll continue I mean, if you to, like Jodorowsky, you have to believe that. Yeah. And I'll, I'll continue to. I know I referenced this on a. I think I referenced this on a show recently. Maybe it was even in Patch Notes. Um, but like, you know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre is my favorite mm-hmm. horror movie. Um, the way Toby Hooper treated his stars on that movie is, is, uh, horrible. Yep. Um, truly, truly a horrifying production to be a part of. Um, boy, did it have great results. Uh, that's, that's the, that's the problem with art. Like that's, that's we, the yeah, moment we, where we, you say like, that's kind of crappy that we have to make that distinction, but we do. We've but talked about this before. You can't jar, judge art's production by its outcome. No. Um, and I think we talked about it in relation to Bioware with Bioware employees actively hoping for a game to fail so right. that it didn't happen. Right. And, you know, that's what, you know, it, it, it succeeds. And I guess, like, like my, my, my thought here is if we're worried about it being art or we're worried about it being successful, that's one thing. If we're worried about it reflecting on us in a particular way and being able to say, like, I am a gamer, you know, have one, have one of those posters, like the timey-wimey posters or whatever, um, you know, like, that that's a moment where you have to be able to say, like, these companies are good. Like, they, they are naturally good. They are not like other companies. They have good morals and they care about people because um, in some version of my weird, you know, connection to capitalism, I think... I would have a company that cared about people or whatever, right? And I think that makes people extraordinarily defensive when stuff like this comes out. Like, mm-hmm. why are you saying bad things about me? And there's also, like, the, the huge expectations game. Like, Oh, yeah. Um, I don't like to get into, like, fan entitlement questions, but... Let, let's get to one of our, our news items. Uh, Ooh, yeah, I want to. So... On the the backdrop to blow of all of this, uh, Grinding Gear Games released a statement today. Grinding Gear Games is the studio that uh, makes uh, Path of Exile. Also, it makes that classic Family Guy joke. Yes, yes, obviously. I don't I have no idea what you're referring to. Oh, um, come on. <laughs> so it, it's uh, Path of Exile is a Diablo 2-like um, it is a game that I like and come back to, but also abandon for months at a time. That's kind of how I think it's important to play. Yeah. And when I do abandon it, I've, when I come back after abandoning it, I feel like I've almost always, and it's always been like six to eight months. Mm-hmm. I feel like I've always missed a content pack or two. This, this is not a team that is not producing content for the game. Uh, like the last uh, um, season I played had to do with uh, hunting down some fucking undead uh, bosses or something. Uh, we, you know, you fight forts, find forts of these assholes out in the wild, and you'd fight them, and you'd lose because it was balanced to be hard. Um, and you'd fill out like an Alex Jones type, like uh, pin and thread conspiracy map of these idiots. And apparently, okay. the, but apparently that's not the most recent 
expansion, the most recent expansion, is something called Synthesis. Uh, I don't know what Synthesis is. I haven't played it. Apparently it was bad. Um, so Can't all be winners. Yeah, well, they can't. Chris Wilson, the owner of Grinding Ear Games, put out a statement on the forums for Path of Exile responding to a bunch of Reddit posters who were very angry about the game and that they didn't get better content, both from Synthesis and that Synthesis wasn't abandoned early enough. This is a very unfair name to make you say while you've been drinking. Yeah, it is true. Um, Synthesis. But (laughs) the problem these Reddit posters had is that they um, that that synthesis was bad, and that new content hasn't come soon enough. And the content of Wilson's update is that first he spends like seven paragraphs talking about the the shit they're having to do to prepare for edition 4.0, and for the South Korean launch and a bunch of other stuff, and how the you know the production schedule is twisted five ways from Sunday, mm-hmm. uh, and then he presents the readers of this missive with a choice. When given this feedback, we have, I'm quoting here, when given this feedback, we have two options. One, assemble the team of seven key people who are needed to solve the issue, discuss it for half a day, then lock in the solution so that we can at least tell the community what our plan is, even if it's a little while before we get to it. An example of this is when we made large functional and balance changes to Delve based on community feedback. Delve was a previous expansion that I played. The expansion's gameplay was, you know, a bit off, but it was at least decently fun. I enjoyed it. Balance changes were made. It was fine. The drawback with doing this is that it derails up to seven important projects that we're working on in order to solve the problem. We have to be selective about which problems we apply this approach to. Two, the second option is to read and consider the feedback and specifically decide to deal with it later. This doesn't mean it isn't going to be done. It just means we are prioritizing the existing release we're currently working on. An example is the map stash tabs in standard situation, where we waited a whole league before we solved it. If we had put the time into the solution a a league earlier, synthesis would have been even worse. Simply put, we can't fix every problem every league. There are going to be problems we don't address quickly. We'll get to them as soon as we can. That is the correct answer to fans. Right. Who are angry about games as a service. They're not going to go away. I mean, I don't well, actually... I mean, why, why I don't, they? I don't actually believe gaming fans when they say they're going to stop playing a game. Come on. When has that ever been true? What are they going to do instead? Yeah. Go to rallies? Yeah. <laughs> or checkers, depending on what part of the country they're in. Um, oh, boy. <laughs> but yes, the next two paragraphs from uh, Wilson are about crunch and how he doesn't want to subject his team to crunch. And frankly, I believe Wilson here. But I also think Wilson's getting a little bit off of the zeitgeist that's going through the gaming industry right now. Yeah, again, get, feeling, feeling, feeling a little good about, uh, about where he's at, saying, like, I can get some decent press out of this. Yeah. I mean, he and he's not wrong. I mean, I don't really actually care what's happening in the heart of hearts of Chris Wilson as long as he isn't abusing his staff. I mean, it doesn't bother me. You don't want to be like the specter and look into his soul no, to find out what happened? No, I don't want to be Alec Baldwin. Um, was that Alec Baldwin? Did he oh, play I, the specter? Oh, was he, no, he was the shadow. 
He was yeah, the shadow. Yeah, the specter, the specter is the but DC I think the shadow guy. all Yeah, yeah. But I think the shadow can also see the evil in the hearts of man. I think I that's more of a metaphor. I don't think he literally can. Eh, we'll see. I mean, he had two giant we'll guns, We'll see. Too. Um, <laughs> anyway, yeah, I mean, I don't really care what Chris Wilson's, like, moral reason is for doing this if he's not putting his people through crunch. That's an expression of labor power and it's an expression of the marketplace that labor and people who support labor have delivered. Yeah, um, well, it's 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 literally like, you know, like, if, if, you, if you look at something like the Ronald McDonald House and you say, like, that seems like a really good thing that the Ronald McDonald House exists. I always and look it, at the Ronald McDonald House. <laughs> Stop going to McDonald's, John. I'm worried about your health. Thank you. Um, but, uh, you know, you look at it and you say, okay, like, I'm glad. I've, I've heard people say this. I have, I have no real, I have a lot of, actually, that's not true. I have a lot of complicated opinions about charity that I'm not going to share on uh, on this podcast right now. But, because um, it would be boring. But the... Um, Trev spreads a giant banner over the highway that says, fuck Bill Gates. Man, I wish I could. Um, we don't really have highways like that around here. Mm. It wouldn't be wouldn't be very easy. I mean, we have highways, but hey, you have overpasses, right? Come uh, here on. and there, here and there. It's not like it's not like where you are. You live in the land of overpasses, my friend. I do. Um, in any case, uh, the you know, I think it's fair to say, like, okay, yeah, like the Ronald. It's, it there are people who are benefiting from the Ronald McDonald House mm-hmm. existing. I think it's the one, like, uncontroversial thing you can say. Like, there are people who are getting treatment who wouldn't otherwise get treatment. Fine. But then you can also say it's bad. It, it's not bad. It's, well, it's I mean, there because it's You there need because to the, really interrogate what, quote-unquote, wouldn't otherwise get treatment means. Well, okay, yeah, of course. I mean, I don't think I, – I do not think that the, the government would have a harder time um, managing uh, health care as it is – if like the Ronald McDonald House wasn't around, if all charity wasn't around, maybe. But that's more of like a collective thing. That's, that's and if charity as much wasn't as I, around, there'd be a reason for it. Now would be that we had a government that took over those functions. Correct. And as much as I want to blame McDonald's for most things, th- this one thing I won't blame them for the well, America's yes. healthcare system. Yeah. Um, but the like the thing about the Ronald McDonald House is it is it operates as not only a tax uh, write-off, which of course it is, mm-hmm. but also um, under our current tax laws, they don't really need that. It, it it exists as a goodwill write-off to be able to say, like, to be able to look at it and not have just bad feelings about McDonald's. I and I mean, that. this is similar for Path of Exile, right? Yeah, like it's uh, Yeah, yeah. I mean, it also affects... I mean, there are decent capitalist reasons not to try to kill your workers. Especially yeah, the specialized workers in a specialized environment for a boutique product. Yeah, your um, your uh, your surplus labor pool is not uh, not nearly as big. Also, with a game like Path of Exile as a game as a service, the longer that game's production goes on, the more valuable older workers are to you because they've been yep. using they've been making the game for that long. You have you know, expertise there that is more valuable to you than churn would provide in a different way than like say Madden has every year. Because, right, sure. you know, that's, yeah, they're two different products. Madden switches engines every now and then. Um, eventually it's a new product every cycle. Uh, something like Path of Exile is a sediment layer. You're building on top of it always. Um, but of course, as we saw with Blizzard, that's not any... Grand sure. protection. Well, I mean, what Blizzard does is they just make a new product eventually. 
you know, they abandoned Star, they Starcraft, they abandoned Starcraft for Starcraft Two, they made but they Starcraft weren't abandoned WoW. two, three games. WoW has changed so much that they have to put out WoW Classic, which is a completely different product. To well, I guess play that's the fair. original part of it because it has it's basically a Theseus ship at this mm-hmm. point. It's changed so much over its development cycle because they had the, and frankly Blizzard during WoW's, you know, salad days was smart about this. They put the money and the time into the dev team so that it didn't turn into a ridiculous sham. Or mm-hmm. as much as a ridiculous sham as could have turned into. Um whatever it's up to these days, uh I feel like I, I, I don't play WoW, so I don't know what people think about um, the latest bullshit besides the story being stupid. Uh, but the story's always stupid. Uh, so, you know, enjoy. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it's, 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 it's a process. There is institutional knowledge that is necessary. I mean, we're at a point where Square Enix can't release Final Fantasy VIII on the PC because they lost the fucking Gold Masters. Is that really why? Yes, that is That's apparently hilarious. the reason why they they have not ported Final Fantasy VIII to PC as they lost really the funny. fucking masters. Um, you need institutional continuity. You need institutional knowledge. That's kind of the basis of organized socialism, honestly. Um, it's this, not so far off. The I just just you know who are you doing it for? Who profits? Who benefits? And you know, and that's the argument they make that. You know, people make about Amazon is that fine. Let it centralize everything. It just makes it easier to nationalize. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure I buy that argument, but at least no, the argument I don't. Is... I mean, it should be broken the fuck up. But that is the argument. I mean, right. if you're looking at an infrastructure like that, and is you know, we shouldn't discount the size, the sheer size of the Amazon infrastructure. Um, it's oh, just yeah. doing like ten different things. Um, I mean, Amazon Web Services obviously should be split off and probably fucking killed, destroyed. I mean, I'm not sure what good Amazon Web Services has brought the world. Um, If you're about to, like, respond to me that, oh, they allow you to check out online, I don't think that's actually improved the world. Um, I um I I I don't have a response. I hope I hope you were talking about the audience because I don't really. Yes, yes, I meant the audience. I was like, I, but is this the, distrib- the response section? Do I have to defend Amazon? No. We're we doing a debate? But the distribution service, the warehouses, all of that, that would be great if um, people didn't have to piss in bottles to get through their shifts. Right. And in a certain way of doing it, they wouldn't. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think, like, you know, it's, it's, I think one of the things about about this current moment in video games is it's given a very clear and and like easily easy to understand kind of referendum uh, not referendum that's the wrong example that's the wrong word but maybe example of like what people mean when they say um issues in labor Mm -hmm. when people sort of like hand wave and say like there are issues going on in our current world with regards to labor and management you say like well what exactly do you mean and you can point to gaming and say like it's not good to be working this long for this much money. Yeah. I mean, you can point to gaming. You can point to uh, hospitality management and hotels. Uh, and, you know, as bad as things are in gaming, there's not regular accusations of rape. Um, 
and that's what's There's going on. There's irregular accusations of yeah, it, though, yeah. so. Um, but that's what's going on in the hospitality industry is people have yeah, to work right, in the sure. rooms. Have, yeah. This is a top-to-bottom problem, um, and it's not just gaming, and when gaming solves it, the thing that gaming should do is stand in solidarity with the rest. Mm-hmm. Yep. And hopefully that happens. Um, I'm a cynic, um, but I like being proven wrong. Well, there's some. I mean, there's some things to to smile about. So, like, um, do you want to talk about what uh, Riot's up to? <laughs> things to smile about. Yeah. Um, there's going to be a walkout apparently. Um, yeah, it's 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 massive. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be it's going to be a walkout and against the company that, you know, I feel like Riot keeps trying to put in half measures. And yes. God bless the employees at Riot for just never accepting the half measures. Yeah. I mean, I mean. I, I've sounded disenthused through the first minute of this conversation. The reason is, is that I'm kind of annoyed that we've replaced strikes with walkouts. Well, it's just, you know. Yeah, I mean, a walkout, what does a walkout do? It puts you back 12 hours, 14 hours. Strikes could come. A lot of times walkouts are just preliminary moments mm-hmm. for strikes. I mean, we'll see what happens. You did see the uh, what the PR person, the HR person posted in their Slack, right? No, I didn't. All right. Uh, this is quoting from Waypoint's article on this. It was by uh, Patrick Patrick Klepek, yep. right? Yep. Okay. Yeah, uh, I'm quoting sources familiar with and inside Riot. Quote, the walkout threat spread far enough that it, pre- that it prompted a response from Riot's chief diversity officer, Angela Roseboro, in the company's private Slack over the weekend. We are also aware there may be an upcoming walkout and recognize some rioters. Note that that is a proper noun referring to employees of Riot Games. Not actual rioters. It becomes ironic at some point, but I don't think we're anywhere near there. Continuing Continuing quote. Are not feeling heard, said Roseboro in a copy of the message obtained by Waypoint. We want to open up a dialogue on Monday and invite rioters... To join us for a small group <laughs> session where we can talk through your concerns and provide as much context as we can about where we've landed and why. This is the money line. If you're interested, please take a moment to add your name to this spreadsheet. Oh, We're planning clever. to keep these sessions smaller so we can have a more candid dialogue. Motherfucker, if I'm working at Riot, I am not adding my name to the blacklist spreadsheet for you. That is, uh, that's bold. Put that your, is something. Put your name on the let's retaliate against these people later spreadsheet. All right, fine. Yeah. Make sure, make sure we know you were in on this. Make sure your name is written in blood. Make sure we know where you stand. That is, uh, Wow. Anyway, uh, they said a lot of other stuff, like they're proud of the people for standing up for what they believe in, blah, 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 corporate culture, blah, blah, blah. It means something different when I say I'm proud of that and someone who's like should actually is not proud of it is saying it. Yeah. Like when I say it, it's like, oh, it, you know, what I mean is it's cool that there's a company of people that is not putting up with this, is not sort of accepting the... The kind of like uh, again half measures. Um, that, yeah, I that mean, when, when the bosses are cool that you're standing up for what you believe in, they're not they're not threatened by you. Right, exactly. Then they're just saying like, which isn't cool, to say you know, that in, the people at Riot are doing anything wrong. 
I mean, there needs to be a structure built before you can proceed to a strike. When I criticize them for walking out instead of striking, what I'm criticizing is the general state of labor in this country, not right, no, the people no, no. at riot. I don't think I don't think this podcast would. I don't think the position of this podcast would be that the the people at riot are are at fault here yeah. at all. I think they're you know. But it does remain true that we are reaching an impasse here. Like they're, they're, we're going to get another one of these stories every week. We're going to come back here and talk about labor every week, and every week we're going to ha- come to the same conclusion, which is that eventually some major studios workers are going to have to sign union cards and get fucking fired. Yep. That's what's going to have to happen. And there's uh, there's no there's no way to square that circle. There's no way to, you know, have them unionize and keep their jobs. Like the people who run these companies will shut the companies down before recognizing a union. Well, and the, I mean it happened the, in journalism if you remember what happened with the Gothamist. I do. That um, was that was unbelievable. With the Ricketts, the owners of the Chicago Cubs, uh, the Gothamist workers signed union cards, and uh, the Ricketts literally just Closed shut the, Goth- the company. Gothamist. Yeah, they shut the company down because the Ricketts don't give a shit if they lose the the Gothamist. They don't care if they have to close their Chicago and New York offices. They care if unions got a foot. Yeah. It's an ideological battle for these people because these people don't have material concerns anymore. No, that's right. That's true. Uh, well, should we get to our games? No, Did let's get to anything? Days Gone. We haven't talked about Days oh, Fucking Gone. My. Let's go I long. I forgot it was Days Gone. Oh, man. I, I forgot it was Days we Gone. We talked about labor for an hour and forgot about Days Gone. Hell, we didn't even discuss Borderlands 3. Oh, well, real quick, um, are you calling me a liar? Yes. Are you calling me a liar? Yes. I mean, if you're just going to ask me a question like that, I'm just going to stand up for it. I am calling you a liar, and I am I also love, the chief editor of Game Informer. I love, I love Randy, our friend Randy Pitchford. Randy's got the magic tricks. All right, so uh, for anyone who didn't understand the previous 45 seconds of conversation... Just go ahead and read Twitter a little more. Yeah, what happened today was um, they did about a five-hour stream of uh, from from Gearbox, the makers of Borderlands 3, about the game. And it was very informative. I, watched, I, I managed to watch about two hours of it before we uh, recorded. It was, um, it was streamed Wednesday afternoon. The problem was, and I hope I get this right, so and Randy Pitchford doesn't do a eighteen tweet thread at me. He's gonna. Is that when Game Informer did their tweet about microtransactions in Borderlands Three? They didn't properly note. All right, so they said that. Pitchford, uh, Pitchford said that there wouldn't be microtransactions, but that later the company confirmed that there would be. Mm-hmm. Pitchford's problem was that they didn't necess- they didn't parse his language well enough. They, the, the, the actual term he was mad at was they said, despite. Despite, yes. Despite Pitchford's, like, are you, like... Saying it to, uh, to the contrary. Pitchford's argument was that he only referred to microtransactions in the sense of the free-to-play 
cosmetic bullshit. No, free to play something or other. I think cosmetic shit. I'd have, I, it's honestly unclear at this mm-hmm. point. It's a it's a ridiculous parsing. Um, and that they should have understood that that did not apply to the larger set of stuff being sold related to the game, like DLC and the like. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I mean, like we mentioned at the start of the show, this is Meltdown May. This devolved into Randy Pitchford screaming at poor Andy McNamara of Game and Four, former, that uh, he was a liar. Like, he was this, uh, this whole thing like, are you calling me a liar? Are you calling me a liar? And Andy McNamara had to respond, no one called you a liar. What we are saying is the message is confusing, and we wrote a story to clarify it. Correct. Um, so eventually, a very testy Andy McNamara asked Randy for an official statement, and Randy responded with 18 tweets in a row. Because it is Meltdown May. Amazing. Yeah. Um, so wonderful. And I still can't believe that this man is representing this company in this capacity. How is he? I mean, I would say, I would say, if, if this were anyone else in the world, I would say, I mean, yeah, it's just, it's he's done. Not, he's not going to... He's not technically under criminal investigation, I guess. So... Yeah, not, not technically. Uh, um, rock so much. It's so stupid. I'm going to read the last two tweets, just because I want Please. to get a, across the grievedness of Mr. Pitchford. 17. In a moment where I had expected the team and I would be supported and applauded for holding the line with our stance on AAA monetization, I was hurt to suffer both claims of dishonesty and a suggestion that we had fallen on this point from Game Informer. 18. Any help you can offer your readers to see Borderlands 3 fairly and see me as you know me would be deeply... Man, you do not want to say see me as you know me if you're right. Anyway, see me as you know me would be deeply appreciated. As always, you can reach me at any time, I bet. I have always (laughs) been naturally sincere (laughs) and transparent with you both on and off the record. Thanks, Andy. Jesus Christ. That's that's extremely mad about about, Uh, uh, how he's been treated and the, the indignities he has suffered. For context, the beginning of the live stage show for this uh, Borderlands 3 presentation, which had about an hour of pre-gaming, which was mostly just like YouTube reaction guys, like getting a good weapon and then like screaming in a high-pitched voice and mm. taking off their earphones and standing up and walking around the room while continuing to scream. That was like the first like 90 minutes of this thing. Uh, eh, 60 minutes of this thing. Um, Awful. So what they did was they brought the entire dev team on stage and had the audience applaud them. Um, And then Randy said some stuff about how well they were treating the dev team. And then he had the audience applaud them again. And then he sent them off stage with the casual aside that um, you'll see them again soon because we have them working the demo booths. So, so the only reason they were there to begin with is to work the demo booths, but Randy decided to bring him on stage to tout how much he cares about the dev team. Um, I'm looking forward to hearing about Crunch at Gearbox after this game launches. I mean, it's gonna, it's, it's coming. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's and and that's just probability. It's come for everyone. I don't think Gearbox is anything special here in terms of. That no, stuff. I just think I think you know, assuming that it is anything special, would be yeah. the mistake. Um. I don't know if we can do. Can we do? Can we do Days Gone yes. Justice? Yes. 
All right, I'm ready. Okay, let's go. So Days Gone. Um, what do you feel about zombie media? I'm sick of it. Yeah. I mean, I'm not even sick of it. I hate it. I actively dislike it. Um, I feel like... I say... Oh, go ahead. Sorry, please. I feel like if the last piece of zombie media I ever experienced on this world was um, The Last of Us, the first game, I would have been satisfied but not particularly pleased. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fair and enough. That's mostly an aesthetic thing. I think the actual production values in that piece of media were good enough that if you're just talking about quality, I'd be fine with no one ever making a zombie thing again. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that seems right. But we've got this. And we got World War Z. And we've got um, and uh, like two of the two of the better television shows in the streaming s- space. Uh, this season are apparently zombie fil- stuff. Like, um, what are they? Black Summer and uh, Z Nation. Okay. Um, I think they're by Asylum Entertainment. Don't quote me on that. Um, but apparently they're very bleak, very dark. Uh, one's more action focused. That's Z Nation. One's more The Road. That's Black Summer. Neither sounds like something I want to watch. Um, which is yeah. unfortunate because both sound good. Um, right, it's just the and I hate you want to watch them at this point. I hate not being able to watch stuff that's good because I hate where it's coming from. Uh, and I, I dislike also not being able to play, not wanting to play stuff that's good because I dislike where it's coming from. That, apparently, that doesn't seem like it's really a problem. Yeah, good news with Days Gone. With days Gone. Um, yeah, don't have to worry about that. This game, I don't know. I mean, I feel like maybe I'd buy it if it was. Uh, 85% off on a winter sale uh, just to hate it more, more fully. Yeah, I could see that. Um, I mean, it truly looks vile. So the, the main character, his name is Deacon St. John, and he's basically a fascist because every zombie piece of media since the original Romero films, which were anti-racist films, uh, right. has been fascist, um, especially our modern zombie films yeah um i guess Zack snyder's dawn of the dead was slightly anti-commercial in its bullshit it took place in a mall i mean i mean it just just, (laughs) literally just ripped off romero on that but yeah and but i mean ripping off romero is so much better than anything else that zombie (laughs) films are doing these days um but since then we've got the walking dead i mean the big problems for me, with zombie media are, are twofold. The first is that we should accept that human nature is such that not only are we all horrible, that but that being in proximity to each other multiplies our horribleness rather than mitigates it. Yeah, that's a general understanding of, of what and, zombie and Yeah, I mean, suggest. and this is, this is something Days Gone trades in to begin with. Uh, the quote-unquote, like, decent camp of survivors is basically run like a prison uh, with the person running it being a former, like, matron of a woman's ward of a prison. And you can just walk around camp and see armed men with AK-47s beating the shit out of people for not working hard enough. Very cool. The bad camp are, like comical drug dealers and thieves um, who like, you know, use... Yeah, they're basically Walking Dead villains. Um, right, sure. 
use violence to solve all their problems, talk about, you know, the, the will to survive, all that bullshit. Um, Copeland, I believe, is the name of the of the uh, head of the villain camp, or the, the, the nihilist camp, and Teller is the name of the person who runs the survivalist camp. Ooh, like uh, Sons of Anarchy. Yeah, well, that's another thing about this this game is that it is made by people who love them bikers, or at least love um, Kurt Sutter shows about bikers and hagiography. Do you ever watch uh, Sons of Anarchy? Fuck no. Uh, I've, I, I've seen, I have seen the entire show. Yeah? Was, it's, it's I, I don't know. I mean, it was a period of time where I had more time to waste my time, I guess. Yeah. Uh, it's, I wouldn't recommend it. No? Yeah. No, not really. I mean, and We've talked. I mean, the setup for the for the game is that the apocalypse happened after your main character Deacon St. John married his tatted up biker babe wife, uh, and as far as he's aware, she died in the uh, chaos following, you know, the outbreak. Uh, so he hates the freakers. So here's the thing about the freakers. The Freakers aren't zombies. And this is sort of like a, a thing that modern zombie fiction does, is they don't call their zombies zombies to differentiate them from Romero yeah, the zombies idea is, or fast zombies. Right. Well, the idea is like, well, let's make it more, let's make it interesting. We have zombie fatigue, let's, like, let's make them Freakers yeah. instead or whatever. So here's the thing. Freakers are alive. They're still alive. They're living creatures. They're alive, let's say, altered humans who live in squalor, uh, Deacon St. John will comment on how their nests smell like shit because apparently they just walk into their nests and shit everywhere. Like the famous phrase, always shit where you, where you eat. Yeah, the, the, the famous advice. Mm -hmm. They apparently have subhuman slash animal intelligence. It's difficult to tell what they're doing with that. They've been physically altered to look more evil. Um, clumps of hair falling off. Uh, stringier, mostly, but not always. Patchier skin. Okay. Um, they all look like, as far as I've seen, at least in review footage, I've watched about three hours of review footage of this game. I'm not, Did you watch the quick look? Or? I watched the Giant Bomb quick, quick look, and I watched like a YouTube video that was the first two hours of gameplay. Mm, um, okay. As far as what I've seen, they, they've all like mellowed out to a gray skin palette. Um... So they all looked like like gray zombie monsters. If you, if you remember like Baraka from Mortal Kombat, it's sort of like Do him I remember with smaller Baraka. teeth. He's the guy with the big teeth. Um, yeah, I know. I remember Baraka. Oh, I thought you were being ironic. Um, but yes, no, no, they're no, all no, no. they're all. <laughs> I mean, they're dressed in human clothes. They've got hair, but they're like gaunt, weird, non-human looking sort of. Okay. Um, so they eat each other. Like not good. Like a freaker can eat another freaker, which brings into question the the whole human flesh thing and the horde thing. Mm -hmm. If they can eat each other, why do they prioritize you? How can they have a society? Maybe Days Gone answers this in the fourth through sixtieth hour. I kind of kind of doubt it. But they also have an incredible propensity for violence, which is the big thing. Yeah, so so I remember the the main thing in um, the uh, the waypoint article on this, which 
I will say the Waypoint article again. I think by by Patrick Lepek, um, I felt was a little weak because it sort of traded in the stock. Um, I think I I think I don't like video games mm, anymore. Yeah. Sort of like you know you know introspective writer thing. I like Patrick, um, but you know that's uh, that's a bit too easy to fall into. But like, hell, I, I don't like say, video games anymore, and here I am on a podcast for them. Yeah, but you don't write about uh, it, so uh, you know. I, I think it's okay to not like video games. I also think it's okay to just like not not uh, you know wax poetic about mm-hmm. that either. But in any case, um, so uh, the article itself was quite good, um, r- regardless. And one of the things that it did that I that I remember was it talked about a scene where you're on a roof and it talked a lot about this like this sort of like moral uh moral haze mm-hmm. of the game where it's basically like the whole point of the game the whole morality of the game is you just have to kill these freakers yeah i'm and not sure moral things... haze is the right right term it's very well there's no there's no moral. morality it's just none <laughs> yeah none morality. zero right um and he he describes one of the earlier scenes this where you, where you kill, kill a kid yeah you yeah. kill a child and, like, the very idea of you have to kill a child is wild to me that they included well, that. Well, here's the thing. Um, not only do you have to kill uh, – the idea – when you say that you have to kill a zombie child, a lot of people are going to think about the thir- first episode of Walking Dead. A lot of people are going to assume that it was a child that was turned. These are living creatures, the freakers. They have live birth. The, the freaker children – like the time has passed enough that if you're seeing a a quote unquote newt like a child gecko is the is the word that these people used to refer to the literal children they're killing mm-hmm. enough time has passed that if you see a a freaker child in the wild they are old enough that they'd have to have been turned when they're like 3 or 4 years old to have actually to be the age that they're supposed to be because they're live humans growing. The more reasonable option is that the freakers can breed. Mm-hmm. And th- which I mean just makes a lot yeah, more sense. Because they're living creatures. And from what you do with those fr- and because the the kid on the roof that you kill in the intro isn't the only kid you'll kill in the game. In fact, it's very Belgian Congo, the way it works. You, um, once you kill each of these freakers, you cut their ears off and you turn them in for bounty credit. And the, the people pay Boy. different rates for the children as opposed to the adults. Um, Higher rates? Yes. Oh, of course. Um, the reason you want to kill the children as quickly as possible is not because they attack you. Which is the way it was in Dead Space. Remember in Dead Space 2, there were children zombies, and they were really dangerous. They'd, I don't remember well, that. They, but... They'd rush you. They were smaller than normal zombies. Uh, they were like swarmers, and they'd fuck you up if you didn't respect them. Dang. The way that children zombies work in Days Gone is they scream for help. Oh. And when they scream for help, obviously they attract a horde. That's awesome. So you are incentivized to murder these children, these zombie children, as but they're not zombie children because they're alive. They're just subhuman. And they yell for help as soon as possible because they're yelling for their parents. Boy, that sucks. So I mean, the zombie genre is not a genre without politics. 
the politics of this game are obscene. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you – and this is also shown in stuff like Deacon St. John will go to his wife's grave and tearfully tell his dead wife's grave about the time that he and three other bikers held down a guy who betrayed them on a mission and blowtorched the the gang's tattoo off his back. Um I mean it's an important it's an important yeah, story. Yeah, I mean and and it's unfortunately well delivered because the guy who does uh Deacon St. John's voice acting is actually really good. Um at his job. He's you, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. You did it. Entirely me. Uh you know, also all the mispronunciations that are in there, me drinking that's in there. Um and it's it's just, you know, how can I, I, I I'm I'm sure that, I, mean, I don't have anything against people who play zombie games. I don't have anything against people who enjoy Days Gone, but I I can't do 60 hours of the road but written by idiots. Yeah, I mean, honestly, like, it's one of those games that when I hear about it, my first thought is, oh, this looks really stupid. Um, like the 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 um, wedding vow that they do, where it's like um, that's apparently a real thing, by the way. Oh, I know. Yeah. I saw the I saw the screenshot. Um, like uh, you'll you know, I pledge to ride you as much as I ride my motorcycle or something. Yeah, like that, uh, or... his wife asking him uh the the thing that Trev's referring to is a moment where the tatted up wife in the white riding dress tells the husband in the uh cargo shorts and the vest and the short sleeve button up shirt that she wants him to promise her to ride her more than she, he rides his motorcycle. And truly I believe the pastor has like I don't know Jinko's on Truly a nightmare proposition of a proposal. I mean, I, I wouldn't give up that much. I mean, if it works for them, that's fine. I just don't want to have to watch it. <laughs> Come on, man. You don't have to justify this. <laughs> I don't know. It's it. What sucks about it, you're right. I mean, what sucks about it is not the, the actual thing. Like, that's what they want the to do. The game seems fine. The game seems actually good. It, it's got... Far Cry type uh, base getting. Uh, each base appears to be a puzzle-based type thing where you have to figure out how to activate the generator and turn on your, you know, your safe house without pissing off the zombies. Mm-hmm. That's all fine. It's just I don't ever want to play it again. Yeah. And I certainly don't want to engage in 60 hours of content if it's going to be written like this. Well, that's the thing. It's the writing, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's not... The idea of, like, some couple saying that and, you know, being in love because they love, like, sexualizing motorcycles. Like, fine, whatever, who cares? But, like, the the idea that someone looked at this and was like, okay, we got this female character and we really need to make her believable. And we need to believe that she loves Deacon St. John. And the answer was, oh, well, a really good idea would be to, like make in the vows like she knows him so she knows that he's gonna like right, definitely that. want to not have sex and instead like ride motorcycles. Well, i mean the problem is that it's about him um there's no real characterization of her there and frankly i don't have a problem with that vow being included as long as that vow is contextualized properly and that mm, the yeah. female character is not. gets to do more with it and having watched the first two hours of gameplay that's like three bang 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 cutscenes, and then you're into the game 
Um, I think right. you get more time with the dude who you have to, you know, mercy kill or whatever, because he's worried about getting turned. And I still don't understand how you turn into one of these freakers. It's but, very weird. Uh, whatever. It doesn't really matter. Uh, anyway, they spend more time with that than they do with, you know, the character development. You learn most of the stuff you learn about Sarah, his wife, through him monologuing. And there's a lot of him monologuing. Real, real Batman of a game. Yeah. All right, fuck that. Let's talk about our games. Okay, man, there was a lot less to talk about Days Gone than I thought. Game really looks like it sucks, huh? Yeah, well, I mean, I'm not gonna buy it to round out our discussion. Yeah, no, me neither. Um, instead, I'm gonna talk about this other great game I'm playing right now called Dota Two. Jesus fucking Christ! I'm just playing. I'm playing a bit of it with a buddy of mine. Um, Why do they call it Dota uh, Two? doesn't stand know. for anything, does it? No, because that's owned by a fucking other company, Blizzard. Yeah, it's a strange game. Um, it, uh, I don't know. It's really hard. Um, it's very, very Baroque. Mm -hmm. um, under Underneath the difficulty and the Baroqueness is, like, actually kind of like a cool little game. It seems very social. It, it, there, yeah, there's a social element, and that's, like, my least favorite part. Um <laughs> Not not the part where I play with my friend Ari because he's fun to play with and that's fine, but the part where you have to like in order to like really actually play a serious match you have to play with people. Mm -hmm. um, there's no getting. And around this is it. like Dota's like thirty to forty five minutes, right? For if, for a real match, a real yeah, if you're it could, in it, it could end shit. up being that long. It can go a lot longer though. <laughs> I was hoping you'd say it could go a lot shorter. Oh no 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 no. no. Um, it's basically, it's kind of like a giant game of, like, extremely, uh, slow chess. Mm -hmm. Like, you, you're making it, and that's, like, I think that's the appeal of Dota to me, anyway, is, like, at its core, this is a game that is kind of, like, it, 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 how do I say this? It mimics the experience of playing chess. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not too far off from a chess match. Um... And I don't mean that in the, like, in the I'm watching football and, uh, you know, Chris Collinsworth is describing uh, the battle between these two uh, coaches as a chess match. Like, I wouldn't rely on Chris Collinsworth to actually tell me the rules of chess, so yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, but on the other hand, it's so complex and so difficult that like the the elements of chess that are in there, which is to say the elements that are um, deeply complex but strategized in a way that can be repeated and gamified, mm -hmm. um, like those elements are so hard to get to. You have to play like hundreds of hours before you even like sort of figure it out. And I know I'm never going to get mm -hmm. there, but it is kind of fun to see the way the game works through someone else's eyes. I'll say that much. Um, and, and fun to try it. Um, I would say find some people who aren't uh, total monsters to play with, if you can. Um, good luck uh, at that. But um, you can. I mean, they're, they're out there. Um, you know, why not? Um, yeah, so that's what, I, that's what I played this week that was a little different. Uh, what did you play this week that was a little different, John? I would have made fun of you more for all of that, but the game that I'm going to talk about is like the Dota 2 of the 90s and early 2000s. Wonderful. I've been playing Magic the Gathering for 23 years. Um, 
And this year, with the launch of Magic the Gathering Arena, is well, maybe, I, maybe it was launched in late 2018, I forget. But, you know, in the last six months, the first playable online client for Magic the Gathering has been released. There was Magic oh the Gathering online for about ten years, and it was a buggy, useless piece of shit that people merely had to endure to play the game. I mean, you played a lot of it, right? No, I didn't. Um, we should talk <laughs> about this. Uh, I stopped playing Paper Magic competitively when I was 11 years old. The reason I stopped playing Paper Magic... I started playing with, like, 3rd edition. Um, for okay. context, we are now on 19th edition. No, no, we're <laughs> not on 19th edition. They, they renumbered it to going by years, I think... Um, Makes yeah. sense. Anyway, third edition was like 1995 or 1996. Um, I stopped playing it because the local place where you played these games, called The Dugout in Howard County, Maryland, if any of you are from Howard County, Maryland, it was in Chatham Mall at the time. Wonderful. Um, I went there and I played... My favorite deck was White Weenie. The name of that deck refers to... Uh, magic has a five has five magical colors that you cast as a wizard playing your deck: red, green, black, blue, and white. White represents mostly heroic but stupid characters. Um, that's changed a lot over the years, but it's mostly heroic but stupid characters. So white weenie refers to casting so many heroic but stupid characters that your opponent can't deal with them. The linchpin of my white weenie deck was a card called Sarah Angel. Um, she was a 4-4 flying creature with what would eventually become Vigilance, but at the time was called uh, Sarah Angel does not have to tap when she attacks, which is important if you know what magic is. Uh, she was. No, I actually, I know, I know did. enough about okay. magic to know that 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 works. Yeah, no, I know how magic. So she good. was the centerpiece of my deck. My deck was dog shit, by the way. Um, it was very bad. I was 11 years old. Um, so I was at this event put on by the um, by the dugout, and it was Friday Night Magic, and uh, the Chatham Mall was attached to a Kmart. Inside the Kmart was a Little Caesars. So we get pizza from the Little Caesars, and then we go over to the to the magic place, and we play the magic. Um, and so I was on the verge of winning my first game ever in competitive play because I just got my ass kicked all the time because I was bad at making decks. It was against this twenty-two-year-old dude with the sort of goatee that you'd have when you were a twenty-two-year-old dude in the late nineties, early two thousands. Um, no, I beat him. I beat him fair and square. I think he had, you know. I had 12 life when he had zero. And Sarah Angel was the card that killed him. Must have felt good. He demanded to count my deck. Now, a rule of tournament magic as played under Wizards of the Coast rules at that time is that you must have a 60-card deck to be tournament legal or event legal. If you have fewer than 60 cards, you are disqualified for cheating. Oh. Now, you're allowed to demand to check your deck your opponent's deck at any time but it should be done by a judge in current rules it's done by a, a you know a licensed magic judge this is the days of fourth third and fourth edition it was the wild west he got to count the deck oh. wouldn't you know it my deck only had 59 cards in it 
man. I was inconsolable. Um, I went home crying. Spent most of the night crying. Um, stomped out in really probably hilariously funny, stupid tears. If you know, I was the douchebag with the twenty-two-year-old goatee. Um, it was only the next day after I was just starting to recover from all of that that I realized the Sarah Angel was missing from the deck. He <sighs> palmed it. And that's how it happened. And that was it for me and, and competitive in-person magic because if I have to play against people 10 years my senior who are going to steal cards from me when they lose one out of three games because he, he won. You, you play best of three. He won two to one that series. Um no, I'm not just not going to do it. I uh, I played non-competitively yeah, with you know friends, uh, drafted their from their decks from their cubes, uh, now and then. And but Magic the Gathering on uh, Arena is the first time I've actually gotten back into the game, and uh, and I'm actually kind of enjoying it. I don't enjoy the monetization aspect. I think it's um, so. There's two currencies. There's your free-to-play currency, which is gold. There's your um, bought currency with which is gems, um, and it is. And if unless you're very good at the game, or at least decent at the game, and I'm not decent at the game, um, you have to pay money to play the sealed drafts and uh, the sealed uh, tournaments and the draft tournaments. Um, if you're good at the game, you can get enough gems just by being by winning. What happens is that you. you either through sealed or draft, you assemble these limited construction decks, and then you play okay. against a bunch of people who have assembled decks under similar guidelines. You have three losses. You can achieve eight wins. If you achieve eight wins before you get three losses, maybe it's seven wins, um, you get the full reward. To break even, you usually have to win about five games. If you okay. lose three games, you can no longer compete. You're done. Um, so unless you're good enough to win five out of seven possible matches that you could win, um, you're usually going home with less than what you started. Okay. And that's where the monetization of the game gets you. And honestly, that's better than how Magic has monetized its existence up until now. It is, like, incredibly better because you can still get the game to the point where you're just, you know, going in. You've got these, you know, even if you don't interact with the drafts or the sealed at all, you've got daily quests, you've got weekly quests, which are just for interacting with the basic go play someone online that we matched you up with system. And, you know, that's good. I've got a white deck that I love that 11-year-old me would have been ecstatic about. Um, and that's got me through a lot of playing so far. Uh, I have no idea how much longer I'll keep playing it because eventually I'm going to you know, run into a blue control deck and just keep screaming at my computer until I want to hit something, um, mm -hmm. which almost happened today. But, you know, <laughs> I got better. Uh, but no, I, I'm really enjoying it. I'm glad you got it. better. It's better than playing Paper Magic. Honestly, people cheat so much in Paper Magic that, um, that I'm fine with, I'd be fine with Arena being the way that, that game is played going forward from now on. Not better for the environment, yeah, too. Yeah, true. Well, that's 
you said it was the worst game ever, but actually it seems like a really good game. Oh, I mean, it's better than Dota 2. <laughs> That's correct. I beat you. And I beat gone. you, Bernard. Um, well, this has been a great episode. It's been a long episode, which is what the people clamor for. Um, any final thoughts? No. Me neither. Um, well, good night, John. Um, have a have a good rest of the evening. I think you'll probably be up for, what, like six, seven more hours? Yeah, probably. I mean, I've, I've still got, like, most of this second beer left. So, at least until I finish this, I'll be around. <laughs> I hope I hope that means like in in not just in general. Yes, no, I I'm not I don't plan on dying. I am committed. I am actually signed contractually to this podcast through 2022. <laughs> so, I'll be here. And you're pre-arb till then. So, it's really <sighs> Yeah, really, it's, really it's just value. I don't know how the union screwed this up, but eh, I'm not complaining. All right. Well, good night, John. Good night, everyone. Uh, Good morning to you if you're listening to this in the morning, and uh, we'll talk to you soon later. Thank you.